Good afternoon, Adelaide. Good afternoon to a rainy city. Uh, usually Adelaide Festival, balmy sunshine and that warm desert heat. My name's Tom Wright. It's my pleasure to host these uh, festival forums. Here we meet on the banks of the Torrens, on Ghana Yada, the land of the Ghana people, to whom we pay our respects. This land has long been a site of ritual, of song, of storytelling and of art. And in our modest way, we like to contribute and continue that uh, warm tradition of the Ghana people. I'm joined on stage this afternoon by Cram, who's um, going to uh, tomorrow night in a considerably drier summer house than it is at the moment. <laughs> we don't know that, though, do we? Oh, it's going to be It's supposed to be 35 today, man, so it might be blizzard tomorrow. But uh, we're, we're ready for anything, I uh, think you have to be. Well, he's going to launch what I suspect is going to be more than just a <laughs> once-off. It's going to be a substantial um, work, Alone With You, a, 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 which is us alone with Cram on stage. But I thought it'd be useful just to talk a bit about whatever takes our fancy today because, um, uh, well, for reasons that'll become clear, but I should say, before I put this carafe of water down, um, you've come from a considerably wet part of the world, Cram. Tell us what's, yeah. what's happening in your home. Well, it's, uh, um, I live in Byron Shire and I'm here with my kids today and um, our house was flooded as part of the floods up there. I'm sure everyone down in South Australia has heard all about it and um, it's been really tragic. Uh, we were pretty badly affected, but not as bad as some people in Mullum and in Lismore. And, um, yeah, the village I live in is called South Golden Beach, which is just right next to where Splendour in the Grass is, if, if any oh, of you yeah, have ever yeah. been to the festival, which, you know, I've had the pleasure of playing many times. And... Um, yeah, so when it started raining here today, I was like, oh, it's just following us, you know. So we're pretty over rain right now. We want some sunshine. and But um, it's been an, a, a pretty traumatic experience. And I just adding to what I was referring to in our conversation earlier about the, in some ways, almost Old Testament-esque uh, catastrophes that are befalling the world, you know, and the worst, in, in my opinion, being the... The slaughter of innocent people in in um, the sovereign state of Ukraine, and um, you know, we also obviously had the pandemic, and now these floods, and there was fires, and so I don't know. I'm I'm very happy to be here to do this show, um, even more happy than I would normally be because I I'm not quite sure what's going to happen tomorrow, and I'm trying to look at it. I think from growing up with a lot of um, English humour in the 1970s as a kid on the ABC. I try to look at everything with a fairly absurdist point of view and um, just try to find the love where I can and find happiness and that's um, what I'm here to do and hopefully tomorrow night will be a, will be a beautiful thing. So it's like being trapped in an episode of The Goodies, is it? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and we're going to do the goodies, the goodies uh, concert Well, I used night. to race home from school because um, as a kid... The, the goodies was on and then Doctor Who and like, they were two of my favourite shows and so if you in, yeah. indoctrinated a human brain with those two things one's a three piece and you know I, I still have an episode of um, Doctor Who that I love which is um, Genesis of the Daleks which is the original Davros which is just a masterpiece of essentially those early Doctor Who episodes were like um, television theatre and I like watching a lot of that old stuff I watched a hell of a lot of that old English stuff when I was in lockdown for months and months and months so that was my 
lockdown motif, not write songs, just go back to my childhood and watch everything I could. I reckon a few people did that. Yeah, yeah. Quite a few people found themselves getting out old LPs and actually just returning back to their their youth because lockdown made us all introspective, even if we weren't introverts already. It seems, though, um, certainly along... the, The last time I did the Adelaide Festival was three years ago with The Others, which is another project of mine that I really love, um, um, which is with James Morrison and Paul Grabowski, which is basically just an improvisation. Yeah. Um, And uh, that was amazing. And um, this year, coming back to debut this show, which I've been working on for some time, but I'm really happy that it's at this festival that the first ever performance of this show will be because I do like this festival because, to me, it's a bit like... There's something in the culture here in Adelaide that likes to take risks and do things differently. And that other show was very much... It wasn't just the show itself or the fact that, you know, thanks to Sam Wright for getting us that gig. And it was the response of the audience and that people were really into into that. And I know that as it being in a Melbourne band when we used to come over to go to Adelaide, it was different again. Yeah. It's always been a place that's a little bit different than everywhere else. I think South Australians really like it that way. Um, and so, yeah, I can't wait to do this show tomorrow night. It's going to be sick. Well, sin- since you've brought it up, let's just go straight to it. I mean, it's w- what can we expect? It's you on stage. Uh, it's retrospective, but it's also new material. Or is it? it are you entering into a, a risk zone? Are you ent- getting out of your comfort zone with this one? I'm always in a risk zone. That's how I. That's how I inhabit my performance space. Um, Anyone who's ever seen Spider-Bet show, we did a big festival in Newcastle just on Sunday and I really have no idea what I'm going to do. Obviously, know how to play the songs, <laughs> but in between and your interaction with the audience and just your interaction with, with Janet and Witt, yeah. I don't really want to know. I, I, I like the spontaneity. and in a, in a kind of punk rock, heavy rock sort of space, you can do that so easily because the energy of playing drums and singing is just so euphoric, so you're already... You add 5,000 or 10,000 people to that, it becomes incredible. But um, once I went to see um, Green Day, my friends in Jet were supporting them and I went to see them, I think it was in Melbourne, a big show at the tennis centre. And it was great, you know, I liked Green Day and um, I loved when they went on recovery years ago and just jumped on the house band's instruments and played one of their hits, it was really good. And then my, one of my mates um, in Jet, Nick, was like, oh, you should come again tomorrow night if you want to. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll come again. So I went again. And I was just so shocked that the show was in every single way identical, even down to the jokes, even down to the kind yeah. of little plays. And I'm like, you guys are supposed to be a punk rock band. Like, it's like, and like, not necessarily dissing those guys. Um, but I do think that can sometimes in performance, especially when it gets big, uh, production takes over from spontaneity yes. and risk gets thrown out the window and yeah. risk gets replaced by more and more production. It, it's sort of this strange anomaly where you, tr- you keep trying to add something in order to replace what you've lost, whereas if you went the other way... Not every band can do this. Um, we did a big tour with Pink once as well and, you know, there's a lot of sort of structural stuff going on where she's jumping off things and all of that. Amazing. But for a band, um, you know, for me personally, you should be able to conjure that. And if, even if it's 100,000 people, you yeah. want to be able to conjure something spontaneously every single night to make it new for yourself as well as for the audience. 
and yeah, I, so my subscription into the way I look at creativity is very much a spontaneous one, but in the context of trying to shape the show, almost visualise it, know how to perform the songs that you've put into the repertoire, and then leave an element up to chance, which is your natural state of being that can create something magical. You know, no one knows how they're going to play in a grand final. No. So you just got to play in a grand final. And every, every coach says, you just got to love it, got to enjoy it. You know, sometimes it gets a bit stressful. Yeah, because if, if you get too tense... You're yeah, you're, you want every gig you be in as front of thousands of people Petrarca, to be a grand you? final. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not expecting tomorrow night to be a grand final, but I am um, no, hoping that the show... Because essentially the, the idea of the show has changed during the course of time since... I was asked to do it. Um, and basically I decided to do a chronological soundtrack of my life, I guess, of the songs that I grew up listening to as a kid. Um, for early songs we started writing and how those songs um, are contextualised in, the, con in the, the construct of the show is all very much alone. So yeah. I'm very interested in the idea of being in, in a collective in Spider Bait also being in another collective in ARC oh, as well, mm. um, um, which I, I just love playing with people. But there's something very compelling about doing something by yourself. And as you get older, it's kind of awesome because the stage becomes a more and more safe place. Um, and I've talked to a lot of other artists who are friends the stage is our safe place. Yes. For most people, it freaks yeah. them out. And you most can, they, yeah, you're most it. yourself there. But normal life yeah. is our freak out place. That's where we kind of like, oh my God, I don't really know how to operate like well, this. Well, particularly so, in a time of floods and fires and well, Ukraine. But, but, it, so. but in any time, yeah. like in a way, like the festival on the weekend, I had to pull out of rehearsal because of the flood. Um, COVID has pulled a lot of shows. I mean, we had a fantastic show here um, at the start of the pandemic that we couldn't do. It's the first time we'd ever played without wit, but David Lane filled in, which was lovely. Um, we hadn't actually seen each other, the three of us, because of different lockdowns and stuff for over a year. Yeah. So we, we went up and did this show and I was like, I really need this. I really need this show. Some people are like, it'd be all right to do it. I'm like, yeah. And we didn't really have any time to practice. And the show was insane. Like it was amazing. And so in a way, performing is a lifeblood for me and, and definitely in, in, in spite of its context. I think tomorrow will be similar, but because I've never done it before, I can't tell you what the emotions will be. Maybe we should have done this the day after, but yeah, anyway. But I'm very into it. What instruments will you have? What will you, be, what will you be supporting yourself with? What do you mean? Well, how many instruments are you going to have on stage? Oh, shit. Um, a few. <laughs> Because um, I mean, that, that range of your life, these postcards to yourself well, the, through the your life is, requires uh, a fair Some range. of it's acoustic, some of it's electric, some of it's extremely loud, some of it's extremely soft. Some of it is what I used to do as a kid in my bedroom. Um, some of it is what I'm moving into at the moment. And then there may be a special guest or two towards the end. I haven't decided, but... Um, oh, you're giving away more it's than going, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's, it's, it, it's really... Uh, once I started sort of conceptualizing the idea and then practicing the show, um, it started to expand. And so there's so much you can do by yourself if you, if you want to. You know, you miss out on that camaraderie yes. with someone else, but you gain this real camaraderie within yourself. Like just being able to play 
bits and pieces of stuff yourself in ways that you haven't done because maybe someone else is playing that instrument or whatever. Um, the theatrical element of the show, it's really exciting and I think if the show goes well and I'm happy with the performance, I'd, I'd like to do a lot more of them in theatres. It just sort of feels like um, I've sort of, I guess, created something by accident just by being alive for this long. It's kind of <laughs> awesome, you know. But you also, the energy that you devote to your fellow musicians and your, the collaborative relationship on stage is now replaced by a relationship with your audience, isn't it? Because you sort of, there's only one person to banter with and that's your, the, the person well, out there. Uh, and also, um, that's very true, but also um, the relationship between the music and yourself and between the instrument and yourself. I always try to say to other musicians who ask me about stuff like younger guys in bands and they said remember that the work is your friend and, yes. and the, the instrument is your friend and generally often your best friends are other people like you yep. you know um, it's, it can be a very up and down existence you can have huge success and then you can have not and then you can have huge success again you just sort of roll with it but you like other aspects of life you know who are, is real but to find that sort of inner sense of, of being real with yourself it took I wasn't, I never used to be relaxed in the early days. I was very driven and it, like, we have to do this and it's got to be this. Now it's just like, a, it's just a fun party and I just love how relaxed I guess I've become. Why do you on think stage. you were that driven when you were in the early days coming out of Finley? What was that about? Oh, I just wanted to be a rock star and mm. like, you know, I thought this would be awesome because, you know, th we came from this tiny town where you're either a footy star or you want to be a rock star or some, in some ways, um, and not in an arrogant way, I just think there's something that happens in small town Australia, but I'm sure in the rest of the world, is that there's so many limitations put on yourself and maybe um, the way that the world looks at you and what you're capable of, uh, you sort of want to break out of that and just and show people what you got. But also, in a way, it's maybe... Um, like I, I loved Countdown so much and I loved like ACDC and you know, heavy metal and all this stuff. But then I grew to love jazz and the thing I loved the most in the end was just music itself. Um, and through drumming, it really set me free from in a lot of ways the, the blokey kind of very heterosexual oriented country, conservative country living, which has lots of sweethearts and beautiful people. But sometimes you just want to fuck shit up and be a weirdo and drumming gave me the excuse to do that. But I still love playing football and like I was school captain and all this stuff and... Um, you know, but I just wanted, I guess, I just wanted to be free, you know, so you kind of gravitate towards whatever that thing is. And so I don't, if it wasn't for growing up listening to all this amazing music in the 70s with my mum and um, my family, you know, and then watching Countdown every Sunday and listening to the radio, uh, maybe I'd be a totally different person, you yeah, know. Your spider bait fell into that fascinating period in Australian rock history, didn't it? You were sort of, in many ways, you were too young for Countdown, but sort of, too old for streaming, as it were, and you're trapped in that kind of beautiful zone, which yeah. is the 90s in a way, which is a time when music was still live and still had a kind of an authenticity to it. Do you, yeah. do you look through back with golden spectacles on those well, times? Well, I think, I think music has always had an authenticity to it. Like, it just goes through, through phases and the audience changes. I mean, look at Swing. Yeah. Look at, imagine being in New York City in like 935 and going out to so many amazing bands every single night of the week, like the most incredible musicians. I was listening to this radio station on the, on the drive between Sydney and Newcastle on Sunday for this show, and this guy was just talking about the great arrangers of that time. It's like 
what? Yeah. There's just people who wrote charts and sold them to different bands. And like Tommy Dorsey didn't like you, but then then Glenn Miller goes, I'm gonna, I really like this this thing you've done. Tim and exactly. It's just, just that just that yeah. the menagerie yeah. of musicians and music yeah. going on, and I'm sure they never thought it would end. And then it just went bang, and suddenly you've got little trios, and you've got you know, you've got Cornette Coleman, and you've yeah. got like John Coltrane, and jazz suddenly changes into this. It metamorphosizes into this totally different energy, much smaller, much more intimate, much more beatnik. I can't really think of a bigger change in a musical genre, especially a popular one and a legendary one like that, that um, has happened that way. So it's almost like, for me, the 90s is, seems to be, it's, and it's a real trip for all of us 90s bands, because, you know, we just played, just like I said, mm. keep reiterating this festival on the weekend was all 90s bands, and it was just massive. And we've done heaps of these festivals now. I know there's talk of another one being started up towards the end of the year in November, I think, in, in Adelaide. Um, but it's just brilliant for us that that band, that's, that era of music is still so popular. But I think there's just as many great bands now as there always has been, and long may it be so, especially in Australia. The music scene is really strong. So, Although we have come out of a pandemic, as we all know, and you, at this stage we constantly talk about it because it's changed art and it's changed the way we experience it. Yeah. Here in Adelaide, like everywhere, we've just seen small-scale venues absolutely decimated, shut down for a couple of years, businesses fail. Yeah. Getting them back up again has proved much harder than we thought. Yeah. Um, and then two years is actually an eternity in music terms because mm. an entire generation of young musicians that were once 17 are suddenly 19 and have got other choices in their lives. No. Especially when the great disparity between uh, econ socioeconomically speaking in the country and around the world is getting wider and wider and wider. There's more emphasis on your monetary um, value as a person, whether you own a house or not. This is such a big deal for so many people. There's this, there's this thing I always hear when people in general are talking about their situation and they, they often, if they don't own a house, they say, oh, well, I, I'm just renting. Like, it's like... I'm just what, renting. What do you mean? I, it's <laughs> a, I'm just, I'm not up to where that other person... It's like, what the fuck is that? No. We never used to say that. No. You just rent a house and whatever. Then the reason is, is that it's, it's uh, socioeconomically, um, that separation is really coming into the culture. And so what you're saying like the lifeblood of music is essentially small venues that's where people yeah. like me get their start and if it wasn't for that you wouldn't go anywhere not to well, mention how awesome need, and every city needs a government hindmarsh here or Absolutely. a punters club or in those yeah. days you, know, you need these yeah. places and they're, they're actually more fragile than we yeah. think they are but if it's if it becomes i mean i know like in in, in instances like hip-hop the hip-hop scene very diy historically where people would just turn up and do things in anywhere which is sick um, but it, the more expensive it is to live, if wages don't follow the, the, the expense of living, more and more people are pushed into situations where they're following a dollar rather than what they really love to do. And if they really want to play music, trust me, you don't start playing music because you want to be rich. You love it because it's fucking sick and you just, that's what you want to do. Like it's, it's a compelling and beautiful um, euphoric feeling. I use the word euphoria a lot because it's sort of how I often feel when I'm playing it. But if it wasn't for living in cheap, cr 
crap Melbourne and being able to play cheap crap venues and rent a cheap crap house with all your cheap crap friends like your cheap crap self, yeah. it never would have happened. So I and just we, hope we, that we, that we, can come we've back. We've got to unpack it, haven't we? Because there are reasons why these cheap crap ha homes and cheap crap shared houses and cheap crap venues yeah. aren't cheap and crap anymore. Yeah. So you have a whole welter of highly privileged people moving into neighbourhoods and complaining about the sound. And it doesn't matter what you do to block the sound out. Suddenly the pub down the corner, the rainbow or whatever, it's been playing music yeah. for a two generations, three generations, and suddenly it's actually the gentrification yeah. is actually a, putting a blanket of silence over a neighbourhood. And it's very hard to be replaced because you can't just push everyone out into the industrial estates no. and into, into festivals. We've actually got a problem with the way we run our cities, haven't we? Yeah. Well, I, I've thought about this a lot. Um, and it's not just venues. It's like we, we lived in North Carlton for many years and that's where the kids were born. And um, there was this fantastic fish shop around the corner called Canals and it had been there for like over 75 years. I used I was, to see you there. Yeah, yeah right. Did you? I yeah. see. They were, le they were the best I guys and it was a beautiful thing. I lived thing. in Fenwick Street when yeah, you were there. Yeah, see. And, you know, then there's places like the Tote and then there's like, there should be a way that um, things can be heritage listed like a church or like some sort of religious or some sort of um, natural phenomenon or construction or whatever. But if it could be a shop or it could be... The, I mean, if it's something that's such a big part of the culture of the area, it has to be a way for them to qualify to be helped... Well, look at the difference between the Corner Hotel in Richmond stay. and what's happened to the Esplanade as by way of example yeah. of kind of two Melbourne mm. icons, you know. But you can't stop selling something to someone else. But okay. maybe if they... Maybe they... It's, it is very different, the Espy now, I know. But Not yeah, necessarily bad. I it's guess just what I'm saying is that it, I just wish that the government would be a little bit more exploratory and a bit more inventive in the way that it, it looks at culturally important places that may not come under the normal guise of what is culturally important because everyone's we're sitting around talking about it people in pubs are talking oh, have you been to that place fucking sick i used to go there yeah. years ago you know we used to go to the railway hotel a lot and um those guys and they're always my son's name's lonnie and and pete the the owner would go Oh, Lonnie Donegan. We never knew who that was. And eventually I found out he was a skiffle guy. It was cool. But, and then he would break into perfect... He was an Aussie, real Aussie bloke, but then he'd break into perfect um, Italian to talk to his wife. And oh. it was such a fantastic pub. And the reason they could leave it as the way it was is they own it. So they never wanted to develop it. They never wanted... I mean, it's such a cool pub. But I'm sure there's developers who would love to spend millions of dollars on it to completely fuck it up. Because that's what happens all the time, you know. It's weird how I've never really understood how you can have access to that much money and have so little idea about well, what you're and doing. And it leads to a homogenising of our neighbourhoods, doesn't it? Um, it's not just musicians. You want to be a painter or anything like yeah. that. Actually, access to space yeah. in which to make stuff. And so then people turn around and say, oh, why are our cities starting to feel so empty and derelict? Well, it's because actually there's not enough diversity taking place in the streets. You, yeah. Know, yeah. you can't exclude everybody and then expect to have a diverse street life. Yeah. So, I mean, all you can do... Uh, I do think festivals are important. I think uh, the arts in general as an important phenomenon in culture is just as important. I mean, it, I don't think it gets near the, the funding that sport gets. You know, no. we weren't playing gigs, but the footy didn't stop, you know, in the pandemic. Can't stop the football. And I love AFL. Like, I wanted to play for, play for Geelong, play for Carlton. Um, so the government has the ability, in my opinion, but I think when you have a conservative government, you're probably less likely to want to do that. 
Um, my politics is very much left, and so I think left a bit more have an understanding. They tend they tend to fund the ABC a lot better, and they tend to give a shit about about art, the arts, a lot better as well. But even even amongst the arts itself, like I I went to the um, the 2020 summit. That's when we last met. Yeah, really. Yeah, day one you came up to me and we had a chat. Oh, that's. You, you were the only Crazy. friendly bloke there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, you and I both wondering what the hell we were doing. Well, the only there. reason Peter Garrett asked me to go because yeah. he realised he was the only guy in rock there and he was a bloody government minister, you know, so, and that was like, oh, yeah, I'll go. What's, your big, what's the, your big memory of it, that 2020 summit? We're uh, talking about Kevin Rudd's big uh, summit. Possibilities, possibilities. It had so much, everyone was so keen and, like, everyone from, like, me to, like, Kate Blanchett to... Um, you know, even Tim Costello, you know, even like, it and I met some really beautiful people that have become lifelong friends. But the, the, the difficulty with it was, is that it was, it's like having so many ideas in a weekend yeah. and then never having, not having a plan B. And in the end, I was like, we should have sort of formulated some sort of thing, okay, even like, even a donation system. That, why don't we just, between us all, put in a, a small amount of money every year to create a festival that, that can be re-injected, the, the funds can be re-injected to arts programs or, or something. I found it incredibly um, inspiring. And yet by the end and later, it was quite frustrating. I remember that, so Hugh Jackman gave a lot of people his email because he wanted to, he was doing this thing. <laughs> We're going to do this, and everyone's like, "Yeah, I'll be there, I'll be there." And then gradually, over the months, you could see the emails just sort of gradually went smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and then eventually just mounted to nothing. So, which is natural, if there's no kind of constructive next step. Yeah. But I think it was a, a great idea. I mean, um, who knew what would happen? But um, Pete, Pete's a really good friend of mine, and. He, he was right behind it and thought it was a really yeah, good thing. Yeah, he was, and he was doing his best as a new minister for the government. My, my big memory of it was that at one point we were in the arts group, we were chucked into the National Party party room and so there are all these pictures of the former leaders of the National Party. There's sort of Doug Anthony and all these sort yeah. of people up on the wall yeah, and right. they moved the chairs to one side but you could still see where they sort of the Arnott's biscuits were and the yeah. tea urn and so on. So we were sort of camping out in the, nat, the Nats room and even though there were plenty of chairs around, when Mr Rudd came in his capacity as the Prime Minister, he deliberately sat on the floor yeah. so that he could actually be a man of the people and just be sort of lounging on the floor and he was in his listening pose. And yeah. I, I hadn't seen so many politicians up close before and I suddenly realised just how theatrical the business of performing being a politician Absolutely, is. Absolutely, yeah. They, and even Peter, who was relatively new to it mm. at that time, just... As the minute a camera was in the room, they changed the way they behaved like that. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you're, you're constantly on, aren't you? It would be very hard to listen if you're constantly on. It would on. be a very difficult job. Like, um, Albo's a mate of mine, and um, he's a big music fan. He's, he's played... He, when he DJs, he plays Buy Me A Pony all the time. <laughs> Does he? He's a really great bloke. Yeah. But um, it's a really tough gig because you essentially inhabit an eternal state of compromise. I think being a politician would suck. It would be so bad. Um, but it's a, it's a lot better than being a dictator and bombing people and trying to impose your will on others, you know, like... Um, Cram, this has nothing to do with anything, but a just... A buffoon is better than a fucking asshole. Of course. <laughs> but what you're talking about ties in uh, with our previous conversation about small-scale venues and pubs and so on. I'm just drawn to 
um, the, the horrific events up in Sydney of the weekend in one of my old locals, the Carlisle Castle, which is a small pub in Newtown. And um, the, lo the blokes in the front bar who you get to know over the years lived in the boarding house over the road, yeah. which has just had the fire there. And that was also Albo's local when he was a young bloke. Oh, when he and Carmen lived around the corner. That, that was his front bar. Okay. Um, wonderful little Sydney pub. But, you know, you do get to know, even if you don't talk to them, the blokes in the front bar. Yeah. And now they've just had that fire go through and we've lost three of them and another one's fighting for his life. Yeah. You're conscious that when that boarding house um, goes into its next permutation, it's not going to have homeless blokes in their 70s in it. It's probably going to be another, you know, yeah. warehouse conversion. Yeah. You know, we're seeing this... So this in intersection of kind of tragedy through neglect and gentrification and venues, that all is sort of constantly with us. And you'd hope that Mr Albanese will remember his, you know, his youth and mm. remember where he came from because, you know, if we don't resist, it's just yeah. going to speed up. Look, I... Um, I think that a society should be judged on how its, um, I guess, least privileged people are doing as opposed to how its best, most privileged are doing. So you, you work from the bottom up in terms of how are these people going, how can we improve their lives, what can they have. Um, this is just another example of... Um, I don't know, there's just so many people in the country and around the world that are just finding it really tough. I, well, I do think that, that, them, that, that the system, mm. you know, I don't think that Greta Thunberg is wrong at all. There's, there has to be a complete rethink on how we live on the planet. And that's, that, that question is so large that it's a lot easier to conceptualise as a 16-year-old than it is for someone who's much older because there's so much ingrained... But I think a lot of things in society do need to have a massive rethink and something you just have to twist to try to look after more people yes. instead of just pushing them to the side. We have to redefine what it is to be wealthy, don't we? Like what it is to actually be wealthy. It can't be as material why, as it seems to be. Why is it important? Like I don't, I don't, I've never understood the concept. And I know a lot of friends of mine, um, great musicians and... It's, it's sort of weird where music can become like a job and they get really, how much am I getting paid and what, how, how in control of everything am I? Am I? In, and there's nothing wrong with being in control of stuff. You want to you know, have your finances sorted out and all that stuff. But it, I don't have any desire to build empires. Like it's just to me, it seems like a banal, unless there's a meaning behind it. Um, it just seems like a, uh, to me, just a bit of a wank. Like, I just, I don't know why I'd much rather live in a more um, utopian existence where maybe everybody ha has something, but no one has that much. And everyone just, because you're fucking dead tomorrow, man. What's the point of just being this big, like, I got heaps of all this money. and Like, you know, I'm lucky. I've done well in my life. But it, I just don't see the point of having to build build, build all the time and you know it's like what I said in the first part of our chat about the production I'm looking sideways and all over the place like it's you know I, I enjoy excitement and big things but I also enjoy simplicity and essentially meaningless things that have no bearing on your achievement or how important you are and how much legacy you're going to leave you know I honestly would be happy um, I just want to live and be as best dad as I can to my kids and 
try to spread the love where I can and just have a good time and just, you know, try to connect with people as much as I can until I basically turn to dust, which is what's going to happen. Let's, um, let's return to music. <laughs> um, you said talk about anything, bro. No, no, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it because these are actually the conversations that inform and enrich art, aren't they? You don't always have to be plugging your product all the time. But I am interested in your opinion on something because a couple of years ago, Pete Townsend from The Who said, um, and I, this is an actual quote, he said, oh, look, guitar rock has actually died and it's because we've exhausted the possibilities. Now, he's a musician. He knows, he, he sort of, he didn't mean it. You, you can't exhaust the possibilities of an instrument. Yeah. But he was effectively saying that, you know, the days of guitar rock, we're not going to have another grunge revolution. We're not going to have all that sort of stuff. And I just sort of wonder, is that actually the case? You know, no way. we've got it. Surely there's, the, you know, the, Look, the guitar-based rock is a big part of white art, isn't it? <laughs> and music, black art too. Pop, pop music will never die. No, not I pop mean, it's art. like not I pop music, but guitar-based rock. As oh no, a, absolutely. Like, so I did a bunch of shows with Ruby Fields a few weeks ago. She's a good mate of mine, and um, she asked me to get up and do a song with her. And she's fantastic, and it's just the guitar. The songs are amazing, and it's just guitar songs, it's guitar music. And um, like she grew up listening to my stuff, our stuff, through her dad, and had obviously never seen us or whatever. And there's heaps of people like that in the in the scene who are young band June Rats are another example of that. Um, they're just guitar music will never die. Well, Absolutely Courtney Barnett stuff and you know, the big well, open chords. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. um. It's never exactly the same. No. Like, and so if Pete's right, I think he would have been right pretty much at the end of the 70s, you know, I mean, if you want to look at it like that. But he's, he's not right in the sense that nobody knows what's around the corner. I'm not sure. Something has definitely changed since the 90s because of that whole... We got caught up in that whole Nirvana phenomenon and everything. Since the 2000, there's just this huge homogeny yes. where there's no, there's no every, well, anything goes. Actually, it's like heaps but of that, stuff. But that also brings you things like King Gizzard and, and, and Tame, you know, and, and creates all these different things from different places. It's great uh, to be a musician now in one way, in the sense that it doesn't matter what your music is, there's going to be someone who's interested in it. You don't have to, in some ways, like the 90s, you were in, sort of pigeonholed into that guitar rock thing. Yep. But um, I don't think music will ever die. I mean, I was listening to Frank Sinatra, like early Frank Sinatra single from like 1930-something or 40. and It's a song. Like they, it has a verse, it has a chorus, there's a bass, there's a drum, there's some singing and it was recorded and put on a record. Sure, That's like there, 100 there, years ago. There are ago. some forms which speak to the times more than others, though, aren't there? Sometimes music, it just, songs will always That's exist. That's inevitable. Yeah. Like what I'm saying is that, the, the, that everything will come back, but how big it is or how small is, is largely unknown. No one can, can say that. But um, like I said about earlier with Swing, like no one ever would have imagined that it would crash and burn the way it did and yet it's still one of the great musical styles um and what but what replaced it was just as great in some ways even more amazing like what? i listen to john coltrane all the time and it's just a trip but it's not designed to be have a whole bunch of people dancing and being happy this is more like just sit back and be blown away so it was almost like a precursor to the rock and roll in the way that came after it um 
But this is your point yeah. about euphoria, isn't it? Is that that euphoria, that contact with the sublime, is actually one of the things we look for yeah. in these experiences, a chance to get out of yourself, to connect with something bigger. Yeah. But it can happen in different ways. It can be, you know, bacchanalian and massive and huge and uh, get out of your body and v- deeply expressive, but it can also be introspective and move in and it feels like if you listen to the Hottest 100 every year at mm. the moment, there's a lot more gentility and uh, gentle access of the euphoric and I think, um, gentle access of I the sublime. I think guitar bands are less heavy in general. I'm not saying every, every band's like that. No. Um, there's also a tech phenomenon going on, which I've noticed a lot at gigs, where people are wearing these monitors in their ears. Um, not every band does it, but heaps of bands use them. And they say so they can hear, but then... You lose all this beautiful surrounding sound, and it's just one of the things I've noticed where I would could never use that stuff because I want to hear everything. I don't want I, I want something in my ear the whole gig. It's so weird, and um, it's become a huge phenomenon. I can understand if you're in if you're hip hop and you've got to be rapping or singing along to beats that are more subtle and lots of bass and difficult to hear. But um, I like amps and. And I don't want it to sound perfect. Yeah, like, because if you don't sound shit sometimes, <laughs> you never actually sound awesome. Yeah. You don't want everything to sound the same. You know, you've got to be, like I said earlier, just having a bit of risk taking is good. When you've got to, if you really want to do that though, you know that it's not going to work every single time. Sometimes you'll have a clanger. You just go, yeah, that's fine. Who cares? Like, it, it's not rocket science, it's art. You know, you're supposed to fuck up sometimes and sometimes you'll have a revelation because of that. It'll take you to another place. So, um, I don't know. I can't say predict phenomena, but um, I do think that, like you were saying earlier with regards to venues and stuff, there's always going to... If venues keep disappearing, um, there's going to be more and more emphasis on popularity and the big show. So you'll have like 5,000 people or no one. I don't think that's good. And as a musician, I want to go out and see stuff. I want to check out the new thing that's happening. So I think it starts from the ground up and then it just, then the sky's the limit. And if you're in a room with someone, we had yesterday on this stage, we were talking to some fabulous chamber musicians from the UK who are yeah. out and just sort of, this is in the classical tradition, but the one thing in common is that when you're in a room with someone in the salon, so to speak, you have a direct relationship with them and their instrument. You can see the finger work. You can actually hear the movement of sound through the woodwind. You can actually feel like you're part of the process as opposed yeah. to a, a passive consumer of it. Because yeah. when you're talking before there about the kind of the roughness of being in the room, it's, you know, the Russians before the First World War, to talk about bearing the device. Sometimes it's okay f- to sort of hear the scraping on the fretwork. It's all right, yeah. that stuff. It's part of the whole experience. Yeah, exactly. Things don't need to be finished off. There's a time for precision, but there's also a time for roughness. And it depends on, um, like you were saying about intimacy, and I, I am hoping to do a little bit of, bit of this tomorrow night because, I, because most people know me as, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, that's the kind of space that you're aiming for in my type of music, and me who, if anyone's ever seen us play, I try my best to conjure that with the audience. You come off the drum kit, you get them to sing, you do stuff together in this yeah. this huge blob of people is, and, you know, it's wonderful. But just as powerful of that, as that is playing an acoustic song to dead silence. It's, it's amazing. And I remember discovering Bob Dylan listening to a lot of folk many years ago. And I'm like, this is, this is just as powerful because of it's the opposite so you're hearing every little thing and 
you sort of you're inhabiting the song in a lot a lot more intimately than you are in essentially in a massive rock gig you know mm. it's sort of it's a long way from destroying the drum kit and you know then going to do something really intimate so i'm i like the different colors um of that and in reference to jazz like um i went to jazz lab to see paul grabowski play he was um with another ensemble and um i took some friends this is quite a few was it last year um and none of them had ever really been to jazz before. And I said, oh, you're going to love it. It's great. And they just all sat there and watched. And there was quite a lot of young musicians from um, Monash Uni were in this band. This one incredible trumpet player, she was just amazing. I can't remember her name. Sorry. That's really annoying. Um, but just the, the best way they suddenly, people weren't talking. Yeah. People weren't dancing. They're just sitting back with their drink and just in this zone, the bubble of one, getting into this music, getting into this performance was so compelling. And then occasionally looking over at everyone and, you know, and that's, I grew up in the jazz scene in Melbourne and that's, that's the vibe. Like, it's totally different than other styles of music. Like, it's, I think in some ways the music itself, as I'm trying to say, conjures a reaction in humans. There's something about that music that it does that too. And um, I think that's a magical, magical thing. Um, your gig's called Alone With You and you've done a cover of the f famous Sonny Boys song, Alone With You, which is, you know, just a, it's a great cover, obviously. And, but yeah. um, I'm just intrigued to hear your thoughts on the phenomenon of the cover. You know, this kind of distinction that we seem to have and had in yeah. music for 40 years between this is my material, oh, and now he's doing a cover. But actually, the boundary between the two is blurred, isn't it? You know? I, love, I love playing other people's songs that I love. I've always loved that since I was a kid. I mean, that goes back to the countdown and just being a fan of music and the charts and my dad's record collection. So I lost my dad when I was really little and um, I had all these records of his. Yeah. And gradually, as I got older, I started listening to them. And one of them was very scary to me, and I didn't listen to it till I was at least 16. And that was the first Black Sabbath album. And the reason was, uh, where I grew up um, in the Riverina, southern New South Wales, near the border of, of Victoria, um, we only had two commercial channels and the ABC. And in every... Friday night on Channel 6, which was the commercial channel, my mum had lost her husband and she let us kids stay up late. And I used to watch every night at 12 o'clock on a Friday, Nightmare Theatre. Uh. And it was just so fantastic because it was all the old Hammer films. So I grew up being mortally afraid of Christopher Reeve because I thought he was Dracula. I used to... And my... my we, I used to have to go to church and stuff, and so I kind of had this god gothic god thing going on, and I remember being in my bedroom and hearing what I thought was the devil, because the omen freaked me out as well. Like, I thought I was Damien. I was, like, looking at the, my hair, trying to find the 666. I don't know why. Kind of maybe I wanted to be, because I had the powers. I don't know. But um, I heard this hideous, horrible sound out my window, and I thought, that's it, Satan. He's come for me. And it was a possum. So and that really hideous sound they make, I was like, oh, shit. 
So I know whether is the possum Satan or is I'm just insane. But um, yeah, I, I used to love watching that. But when I saw this cover, I'm like, that is, she's a witch. And it's surrounded by purple flowers, which I thought was Patterson's curse. So I sort of thought, this is just too weird. I can't listen to that. Scribbled on it. <laughs> Mum didn't care. I don't know. She, she was listening to Fleetwood Mac or whatever. Um, and records, I don't know if you guys have this, but records do tend to get shoved to the side in some ways. And people, I'm fortunate that I've kept every record I've ever got. Wits the same. I know other friends of mine who've sold theirs. Oh, well, I'll just get Spotify. It's like, what are you, fucking idiot? Like, no way. Every no one's record, no two record collections in the whole no. world are ever the same. You're always going to have something interesting. Like, um, and, and it's such a great reminiscence when you go back and listen to records. Like, I was listening to East of Eden last night when I was doing my final preps. Um, this old record of my dad, just, just some bizarre early 70s fusion. Like, I used to love Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Did you get um, over your fear of Black Sabbath? Was it well, I was of... that it, eventually, when I was 16, I put it on. <laughs> and it completely changed my life. That first song and just how funky and fantastic that album is. And, I mean, I loved Ozzy's voice and everyone in that band, just the songs and the power of the band and the swing. It was just, it really had a big change on me. Um, Pink Floyd was the same, definitely for me and Wit. Um, and I loved, loved The Police. It was kind of my inspiration as a drummer was to try to be as, play like Stuart Copeland. So other people's songs have inhabited my whole existence. And I, like, I've written so many fucking songs. Like, no one could ever accuse me of playing, well, you only play covers now. It's like, fuck you. Like, I, like it, even if you hadn't written a song, play other people's songs is great. But it's a way for me to reconnect. And that's sort of what ARC is about too. Like essentially, I mean, we did Abbey Road and we we're about to do Harvest. Um, we love this music. We're going to do Let It Be as well. And then within the context of this show, I'm definitely playing some covers for sure because I just love these songs, but they are attached to the storyline. And like, you know, Black Betty is such a huge hit for us and we we're playing a cover of a cover. We're not playing Lead Belly's original, even though we we contacted his family and made sure... Oh, yes, we get every now and again we'll get more messages for them because the, it's it's all... We just wanted to legitimise doing that song, especially right. when it became such a big hit, you know, all over the world, really. Um, and and it's, You would have known it through the Ram Jam version. We covered Ram Jam yeah. because we thought it was sick, like yeah. double kick in the backyard, stomping. It's sort of yeah. one of those stupid... Songs. It's a bit like Cotton Eye Joe or one of the, like a sort of novelty song, but kick ass, like a charger driving across a bridge and like in a, in a James Bond film or something. just something kind of ludicrous and kick ass and fun that we really loved about it. Um, um, but then after the song, we did it and we, it blew our minds that it was such a big hit. But, you know, we're really proud of that song being a cover. But then we've got, like, obviously lots of other songs of ours which were big hits too that weren't covers. So maybe if you only did covers, you might feel a little bit, I don't know, pigeonholed in that way. But I, I think all music is great. What about now? Because I was talking to Ivor Davies here a couple yeah. of days ago and he was, Ivor was just... I said to him, do you follow the contemporary music scene? He says, no, I think it's fair to say I've left the building. He now, you know, he still is as passionate about his music as he ever is was. Is that because he doesn't 
not interested or I, he, I think he just felt like he's a different stage of his life he's not he's not like he's lost his passion or enthusiasm for music yeah. he just doesn't he's not part of the conversation anymore yeah. but he still is uh, is still in performing covers he did a wonderful cover of midnight oil that there's still a freshness of material yeah. he just doesn't feel himself part of a contemporary conversation anymore it's a it's a way of in, in my art form in theater I'm always suspicious of artists who only want to do new material there is something humbling and, and uh, a little bit modest about actually saying I'm going to take on board something from 50, 70, 700 years ago and just you know, try and tell a story anew and connect with people who've gone well, before. Look, sometimes it can take you by surprise. I, I did this Triple J tour of Nick Cave's stuff with oh, a bunch yeah, of people yeah. with Bertie, Bertie Blackman and Adelita, um, Lanny Lane, Dan Sultan. It was, it was an amazing tour. And I, like I'd I really liked Nick Cave, but I wasn't as a huge fan of him as, say, Wit is. Yeah. Um, I wasn't a member of the tribe. But I got to know his music so much better through doing this. And I got to perform Red Right Hand. And, yeah. I, and I, even got, I even had a, a tubular bells on the oh, left hand okay. and played drums and sang. It was awesome, but what a song. Like. And so through actually performing it, I became a much, much bigger fan of his stuff. Um, so sometimes I think people do a cover as a way of paying tribute to that artist. I mean, you know, you know, there's no way you're ever going to do it as good as they did it. Um, but you can do it different, can't you? That's what that's I mean. Like you can yeah. interpret it however you want. It, it, it all depends what you what you feel like doing. But I don't know. I, I don't. I don't disagree with Ivor because I don't really know what, he's, what was he was necessarily referring to. But he certainly wasn't being prescriptive. <laughs> but if, if you're an older, older artist, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not part of what's going on. Like, essentially, you're more part of what's going on than ever. Um, I do think sometimes people get a bit sort of perturbed if they've been getting played a lot on a certain radio station and that station doesn't play them anymore or whatever. Yeah. This is just the natural meandering of the, of the business. You just don't worry about it. Like, just try to do the best work you can and just, if you're enjoying it, you should just keep doing it. But um, I, I think pop can be pretty fickle business, so don't let it, don't get drawn into the, into the mud too much. It can take itself very seriously as well. And one yeah. of the things you've always had right from the word go, spider bait all the way through, you've always had that strong sense of humour. It's, you know, that you take your music seriously, but it never felt like you ever took yourself seriously. And no. there was always that sense is that there was a bit of a nod and a wink to the audience and very Australian sort of preparedness to say, look, it's all fun. You don't, you don't need to get too up yourself well, about we it. Sort of, <laughs> us behaving like that would just be you being a wanker. Like, it's like, it, and it's not, I'm just saying that from our, it comes from our experience and how we grew up to us. That doesn't mean I don't love incredible theatre and amazing books and I'm very serious about great art forms. And, you know, as you can tell by talking, I'm pretty intelligent, but I say fuck a lot. So it's like, you know, it's just like I'm a kind of mixture of all of these things put together. You can have a large vocabulary and still pop in the F-bomb every now and again, as long as it's for positive reasons and not for disparity. Um, but just for us, this is one of the things I've noticed about playing with Ark as well as opposed to spider Bait, where it's, just, it's much more controlled and more refined sort of band. It was really refreshing, different, different for me, which I really loved. And then I get back to Spider Man, and it's just like it's like it's like your family. It's like Christmas Day with the best family in the world. You just have a laugh and do your thing. But when you get into this zone, and it's a very three-piece thing, um, where you sort of morph. Sometimes you might morph into a jazz group or morph into 
into blues or morph into not who knows what. And there's something about me and Wit, we have this connection. And then Janet as well, that, that through playing music for so many years together, over 30 years, you start to create these amazing things on the spot just because of your coexistence and because you've played together as long as that. And so you that's really exciting. So, you know, that's not a joke. That's not... That, but it's fun. It's a really, wow, this is amazing. Um, but I think, uh, I don't know, there's also been the case of that, that so many things in the world has always pissed us off so much that we, and we've had, it, we've had all three of us have had some really tough times, yeah. which, I, which I won't go into because we're not the type of band who goes on TV to tell people about our drug problem or whatever. Like we just, that's, that's our business and we just rather keep that to ourselves and try to work it out as a family. Um, no disrespect to anyone who likes to reveal themselves in a public way, but we've always been pretty insular like that. We have a very close group of people. We don't have many people working for us. We want our band to be a place of joy where you can heal. And you can see that from our shows. It's, a, it's a healing, yeah. joyous place and to it's exist. It's always been the way, yeah. But also fucking on fire and exciting like you know you're conjuring it's like being the emperor in star wars with being a good guy you know you're just like zap zap you, just, you want it to be exciting and, and well, it's like inspiring when you, you did burn well. lives ghost riders and it just was simultaneously black sabbath level scary back in the bedroom but it was also yeah. kind of fun yeah you, know, you, exactly. you, you can get That's the joke doctor who as well it's, you can get the yeah. joke you know it's like yeah. it's okay you can you but, can be tough and funny yeah <laughs> but i don't i mean i as you get older, I think you can probably get a, maybe a little more introspective, partially because you know what's coming. You're heading to the place where everyone goes, Hotel California or whatever. Um, and so then you, you, sometimes I think maybe your music can become a little bit darker, a little bit more self-reflective, which I think is totally awesome. Um, I notice as I get older, my voice becomes deeper. I can yes. still sing really high rock singing but I like singing low and so I can see myself as this old 80 year old dude playing like making acoustic records that are a bit tripped out and being just stoked that he's alive but also feeling a little bit worried about what's what's ahead because everyone does everyone anyone who doesn't is lying don't you think but but also feeling great joy and reflective I mean you know my two kids are in the audience bored out of their minds I've been talking so long sorry you guys um, this is why I'm here. Uh, but um, you, you do get reflective and it's really interesting. And I, I love being a musician. It's so fun. And, um, but sometimes it can be sad. Sometimes you can be disappointed. Sometimes you can feel lost. Sometimes you can get a bit fucked up. Um, sometimes you can be directionless. Other times you can feel like you're the king of the world. You conjure this incredible power of emotion and happiness and joy in the in your palm of your hand. You can feel connected to thousands of other people in a way you never thought possible. So it, it's getting used to all of those emotions at once and never not quite knowing what's going to come next. Because I said to many people, don't get into this if you want to know what's going to happen because you, you've got to get used to not knowing. But celebrate when things go well and don't really give a shit too much if things don't because if, you, if you're good quality, overall, you'll be all right. I think that's a philosophy for life. 
The show's Alone With You. The artist is Cram. It's at the Summer House here at Adelaide Festival on Thursday. I think, Cram, your analysis of yourself that you're most at home when you're on stage is true because your performance on stage, the Savo, has been very generous. Oh, Thank thanks, you. bro. Thank um, you. And welcome back to Adelaide. I'm always glad to have you here in any form. We're always glad to have any music acts, but particularly ones of such generosity. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. Just come back. Love um, that song. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, folks.